from the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is The Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and I'm joined today by Melissa Chambers. Melissa is an online instructional specialist at MSC Consulting and a contract speaker and coach and host for the eLearning Guild's online forums and Guild Academy. Melissa has nearly 20 years' experience in creative media production, project and change management, online instructional design, and e-learning strategy development. She's been designing, producing, and coaching for synchronous online programs since 2002. And it's my pleasure to have her with us today. Welcome to the Learning Circle, Melissa. Thank you for having me. So, full disclosure, I was in Melissa's workshop on Monday of this week. We're here at Learning Solutions in Orlando, where she was teaching about the prospect of adapting traditional classroom instruction to virtual online, virtual synchronous instructor-led training. And I wanted to approach this from the vantage point of the instructional designer, a designer trying to wrap their arms around how to do that and looking at it through the instructional lens, not, not to get distracted. Sometimes we jump to the tools and the software and the technology, but I think an instructional designer is thinking that they want the instruction to be good no matter the format, right? So a lot of these projects begin with a set of legacy assets, assets that presumably worked well in the classroom, but the designer is faced with the prospect of translating all of that. It's really an act of translation and doing it in a way that retains its instructional effectiveness. So where do you begin? What's the practical approach to analyzing all that and making decisions? Excellent question. It's a really common question and and practice now. We're seeing more and more of that happening. I think A real pitfall that I find working with stakeholders and clients is that they think it should be a one-for-one. We did this in the classroom this way. We need to do it in the virtual classroom the same way. And what you really need to do when you first get those legacy pieces is look at them holistically at first. You know, what was the context of this training to begin with? Some of these legacy pieces really are legacy. I mean, these, these are our beloved course that we've had running in our organization for 10 years. But because of the dynamics of the organization and we've grown so large, we can't fly everybody in to do it anymore. That's usually kind of the, the premise to go virtual instructor-led training. But we love this course. It's very engaging. You have to keep it this way. It was an eight-hour course that had these pieces. We have to keep it this way. And that's just not the reality. You're not going to have a learner that's going to sit at their desk for eight hours straight and take a virtual course. So it goes back to that. It's not a one for one. So now you really, instead of looking at it from a contextual perspective, you need to look at it from a piecemeal perspective. Let's go back to what your learning objectives were. So at the end of this course, I need my learner to be able to do X, Y, and Z and go objective by objective and then align the pieces that We're there to support the objective. So what I do typically, if it's a legacy piece and a beloved legacy piece, I will work with the the subject matter experts and go, okay, let's look at this piece of content. Is this something that is just a lecture? Is it a discussion? What was the actual instructional activity around this particular content? 
So for those pieces that you're looking at where maybe they're just watching a video, you're really just watching the instructor stand up in the front of the room and give lecture. Now you have to ask the question, well, why does someone need to sit and listen to someone do that live over a virtual classroom? And whatever tool it is, so this isn't even looking at the technology now. That seemed to be the common thing that was mistaken for what VILT could be, right? The sort of videotaping the sage on the stage type of thing. Right, and I would question, if you want that, then just tape it and put it somewhere. So we're talking about, well, this needs to be live. They need to be able to have an instructor to talk to because that's the way we've always taught it. And so as an instructional designer, if you're being a consultant, you really have to ask back why. Again, if we're going talking about legacy, right, this is a beloved legacy yes. course, and it's worked well for the organization, and you say that's fantastic, however... You're clearly wanting to shift the paradigm here by now making it virtual. We need to relook at your legacy pieces. And it's not about if you had a video, let's say you had a video. Well, why, why do they need to be in the virtual instructor-led training course watching the video? Why can't they now watch that video before they come or watch it between the live? And so we're chunking it out. We're talking about the blend, which is a really you know, popular thing to talk about now. Uh, and it really has to change that mindset. What scares, what I find what scares them is how are we going to then package this? Because before, oh, I could take them off the floor, I could take them out of their environment and bring them in and they have eight hours. But now you're talking about chunking it out and doing a little bit here and doing a little bit there and how do I tie it all together? So from an instructional design perspective, we now have to really look at that holistic approach too when it comes to VILT. It all goes back to that it's not a one-for-one anymore. It's really going to be designed and have a different type of flow all the way through. Is it hard to help people understand that new mentality of how it differs from the traditional classroom? Most definitely. And usually you're dealing with a lot of different facets of the organization. So let's say you have those that do understand. Those might be those that are already in learning and development. But oftentimes it's the stakeholders who aren't involved in learning and development. They're really just seeing what's what's the bottom line here. What's the what's the final number? What's the budget? Yes. What, what's this going to cost for, for me to uh, adapt? And is it a challenge to get the instructors on board, folks that have been accustomed to teaching one way, and bring them on board with a new means of conveying that content? Excellent question. That's actually probably one of the biggest challenges when you go into an organization, particularly one that the vast majority of their courseware has been delivered traditionally in a stand-up classroom environment. And the organization might be on board, the stakeholders are on board, instructional designers are on board. This is fantastic. Let's move into this, you know, let's shift into this virtual instructor-led training. And what gets left behind and who's not asked about it are your stand-up trainers. Yes. And they get scared and they don't want to be part of it or they were left out as being part of the design. So this goes to the people factor. Again, we're concerned about the participants, but also be concerned about who you might need to bring on board to help with that shift. Let's remember, it, it's a, it could be part of a change management shift. It is a shift in thinking and how you're going to deliver within the organization. And your biggest advocates, the ones that have been in the forefront, are usually your instructors. They're the ones usually cheerleading the organization on. They're the ones that represent 
you know, depending on whatever the content is that's being delivered. So you're, it's a real disservice if you're not involving them as part of this paradigm shift and getting them comfortable because guess what? They're probably the ones that are going to be delivering in this new platform. And it's scary because the skill set, although you can leverage a lot of your facilitation skill set, and I, I've done a lot of stand-up facilitating before I did a lot of online facilitating, there is still this a little bit of upskilling and learning the technology and learning to really hone in on new skills such as, or actually letting go of some of the skills mm -hmm. and techniques. I think that's the hardest thing for them. They might have been a very charismatic and up in front and they were really good at walking the room and now they're forced to sit in front of a webcam and be still and make virtual eye contact and not just that but really look at the technology and let's you know let's face it a lot of people that are stand-up instructors are more outgoing they like that camaraderie they like yes. they build off of that energy or feed off of that energy and now you don't have that energy and it scares them from that sense that oh now i have to change but then oftentimes it's not communicated they think maybe their jobs are going away because mm. they don't understand what virtual instructor-led training is because oftentimes virtual instructor-led training gets lumped into the terminology of e-learning, like online learning, e-learning yes. becomes synonymous. And so they hear that and they automatically think, you're making all my courses online and e-learning, is my job going away? Right. But right. nobody really communicated that to them. Oh, no, your job's not going away. It's just this other great way for you mm -hmm. to get your wonderful knowledge out there. And, and they're still not on board. So, you know, my biggest advice or usually one of the first questions I ask when I come on is who's going to be teaching these courses? Are they already stand up teachers mm -hmm. and what kind of upskilling is going to be need, needed and definitely don't overlook them because they're the ones that's really going to help with the change management and the onboarding and the buy-in of this. And if you don't have buy-in from your already existing instructors, it's going to be even more of an uphill battle to have a successful implementation. Can they sometimes be a part of the design process working with the instructional systems designer? I think that's an excellent idea to involve them as much as possible, especially as you're thinking through that process of, okay, it was taught this way. Let's look at how it needs to be taught just a little bit differently in a VILT and explain to them why. Bring them into the tool that you're going to be using as part of your development. Mm -hmm. So whatever platform it is, and get them comfortable on that platform and definitely have them you know, involved as much as you can as part of the design. Yeah. Oftentimes, they were probably one of the original designers of the, of the yes. stand-up training, and they're going to be a subject matter expert. And I think a proper vision of what's possible to using the synchronous time well, I think they might be, uh, in some cases, the biggest advocate of saying, hey, let's move this piece, maybe a pre-reading or something asynchronous so that I can capitalize on something else in the classroom. It's a virtual classroom. I think you might see some of that dynamic as well. Now, what about the people factor? A big part of the success is going to be whether the students can run with this new paradigm themselves, right? Because they're, from their standpoint, there may be technical barriers or a little bit of prerequisite learning on how to work within that environment themselves. What does that look like? And how do you set that up for success? 
Well, I love that you asked that question because it is one of the most often things overlooked when you're starting to adapt. And sometimes, or oftentimes, there's a lot of assumptions made. We assume students know how to turn on their computer. We assume they know how to open up a web browser. But we really shouldn't make those assumptions. You need to do a full-on analysis of your learner, of their tech savviness. Oftentimes with VILT, it's new terminology. VoIP, voice over IP, not everybody knows what that is. Uh, integrated telephony, not everybody knows what that is. You can't just start throwing these things out and expect the learners or assume the learners know what this means. Yeah, that jargon adds up to a technical barrier. Big technical barrier, all the way to the point of, do they know how to log into the system? Do they need to do a download to get into the system? Once they're in there, do they know what chat is, what whiteboard, annotation? I mean, there's all this new terminology that might be completely mm -hmm. foreign to them. So you need to build that into the design as well. If you're within an organization where you're going into virtual instructor-led training, that has to be built in. That might be slides at the beginning of your session. Just ramp up time you're building in? Ramp up, well, you could build ramp up time. It could be part of a learn to learn session. Come and learn the technology before you even take a course. Right? So come and test your technology before you come and take yeah. the course. I mean, I consider myself, I'm not a computer rocket science. I'm mixing metaphors here. <laughs> but, um, no, but even for the technically savvy, there are nuances that can trip you up. I'm in a class right now, and the class before this I was tripping up on being able to run, we were using Saba Meeting, which is like Adobe Connect, mm -hmm. but can't run it in Chrome. I got to use it in Firefox. And then in addition to having to remember that it's Firefox, there's the uh, plugin that has to be enabled. There's little gotchas, all these little gotchas. So I'm just relating to what you're saying, even as someone that I feel I'm past the rudimentary technical stage. Absolutely. And that goes back to not making any assumptions and uh, oftentimes also getting the IT department involved. Tell me a little bit more about what the average student has on their desk so we know what kind of testing that needs to happen beforehand. Um, and so this will hold true for the instructors as well. I always like to say people factor because we overlook the instructors. <laughs> we often overlook the, the participants. And these are not things that we had to think about for stand-up training. It was show up, sit down, here's your binder. The, maybe you had some AV technology to, yeah, to maybe, run a video. Maybe the uh, projector wasn't working. Maybe the right. projector wasn't working. You had to punt and, you know, use, use paper. We, Punting looks a lot different in a VILT. So we need to make sure that we're setting up the learners for success because in a VILT, we're already competing for their attention. We know they're multitasking, whether it's within the system themselves or they're multitasking because somebody is walking into their room or there's an email they have to. So if they're lost in the technology and they don't understand it, that's just one other way they're going to disengage. I'm already frustrated I can't even get into the virtual classroom because you didn't help me. I'm not, I'm going to give up. I can't get my audio to work. I don't know what this voice over IP is. I don't know how to send you a message in, in the tool itself to tell you that I'm frustrated. Guess what? I'm just disengaging. So building that into your design, whether it's a job aid 
you know, that you send with materials or you send out through email or some way to do a learn to learn beforehand. Come and test your tool. We'll walk you through that. Um, or if it's build it into the design where log in 15 minutes early and we'll do a little tutorial so we can start on time. If you're already familiar with the tool, then don't feel you need to log in early. So this is one of those things that adds time. You think, oh, I'm going to have an hour class. Well, you need to add in that people factor. That's going to add a little bit of time into your design. Yeah, so this you have to build margin around the Absolutely. instruction just for the logistics, the uh, little technical ramp up every time, just getting... People are getting situated. It's sort of the technical equivalent of finding their seat, you know? <laughs> yeah, I like um, that. Good analogy. Now... When you're ready to launch this, what is, before you launch actually, what does the testing look like? You know, we typically pilot other forms of assets that we create. What does it look like for this? Well, I always say test, test again, test some more. You can't test enough when it comes to BILT. It's technology. So if it's going to break, <laughs> it will happen. Uh, so before launch, do you don't have to do a full scale pilot, but at least get some friends, some colleagues to log in. So the things that you want to be testing for, you're uploading slides. Do they upload properly? You're testing for sound. What does it sound like? Whether you're using voice over IP, whether you're using telephone. If you're using video files, are the video files playing? Where are they going to be loaded? Are they going to be in the tool itself? Are they going to be sitting somewhere else? If they're going to be sitting somewhere else, how are you going to get that to the participants during the session? So these are all things that you want to test. And funny enough, it's not just test before you pilot. Pilot, see if it all works. What happens at pilot doesn't happen maybe when it's just one or two of you in the room. Well, now you've got four or five, ten people hitting that same video file, yeah. hitting the voiceover IP at the so same this, this time. So there's layers of consideration. Layers of consideration. And so the more people you can get in for a pilot to kind of test the thresholds of your technology, the better off you're going to be. But with that, you, you know, you can be in there one day and everything's just brilliant, but it's technology. The next day, your bandwidth decides that it's not, it's not going to play nice. So you always want to have uh, what we like to call a plan B. Like, what are you going to do? In a classroom, in a stand-up classroom, easy to punt. Not as easy to punt in virtual instructor-led training. In fact, not only should you have a plan B, you should have it written out, and you should practice that plan B as well. So here you are piloting what the course is supposed to be, the scripting and how it runs really well, and then you should also practice what your plan B is. So a lot of anticipation. You're, you're building contingencies and, and maybe contingencies for the, <laughs> the plan C, <laughs> yeah. uh, contingencies for contingencies. And I suppose it takes a little practice also having the instructor ready to seamlessly, as much as possible, as it is possible to, when one thing fails, move to the other way of doing it. Can you give us a couple of examples, though, of how something fails and maybe you've got to do the same thing using a different feature or a different format? What does that look like in real time? Well, I'll use video as an example. Say you are playing a video, maybe a short video, uh, maybe it's a video of a, a simulation that you wanted to show. And it plays beautifully when you practice. It plays beautifully, you know, maybe the first couple times you did the class. And then this one time the video is not playing. So in real time, what happens with video is it might, if I'm teaching the course, 
it's running fine on my end. The problem is I don't know what your bandwidth is like on your end. So it might be playing brilliantly for me, but then all of a sudden I've got four or five participants saying it, it's hitching on my end. It stopped playing at 30 seconds. You got person after person telling you this in the chat or coming yeah. on mic and telling Everyone's you saying no sound or no something sound, like that, right? Or it's freezing on me. And you know that this video is really important because you're about to do an activity or have a discussion based on this video. But when half your class can't see the video, what do you do then? And this happens quite a bit. So plan B would be, okay, where can I house this video where it's not streaming inside of the platform? Maybe if um, I have an internal site in my organization that I can post the video and then give them the link to then say, okay, yes, you're going to leave the platform, but I take one minute, click on this link, go watch the video, come back, give me a green check that you watched the video, and then we'll have a discussion. Plan C happens when, let's say, they go to click on this link, it's sitting on the same area that the video that you're trying to play is sitting too, and they still can't stream it. Mm. What do you do then? And you're about to go into an activity for discussion, and that happens. So the facilitator, if this wasn't built into the design, let's say you know your instructional designer mm -hmm. didn't give that, the facilitator needs to understand that these things happen and be pliable enough to not lose their cool and go, okay, well, that didn't play for half of the people, so let's switch gears on what our activity is going to be. I'm going to have to change this activity now. And, you know, you don't see that as much in, in stand-up instructor-led as you do virtual. And that's why it's even more important to get the facilitators on board and ramped up and skilled up to, one, not just know the technology, but feel comfortable enough with the content that they can punt and go, okay, that video didn't play, now what? We can't just skip the activity. It's really just an expectation reset for the need for contingency planning. It, it also dispels maybe excuses that are made against virtual instructor-led training. But if someone is going in with the mindset that, yep, there is a little more planning and these things do happen, we do it in other spheres. We, you know, we have the contingency that if this road is backed up, I'm going to take that detour to get home. And it's a lot like that here. It's just a, a mentality and anticipating that it's going to happen so you can shift when possible. And I would say anticipate that it will happen. Yes. Not that it can. It will happen. And, you know, psychologists tell you, you know, the same advice. You know, your stress will come down if, if you just anticipate that, you know, again, like that example of being stuck in traffic, you know, assume you might get stuck in traffic and it won't be a big surprise. Mm -hmm. You won't get so angry. Do you have any parting advice for the instructional designer that this is new to, they want to be successful, but it's a scary new venture, a new challenge for them? Uh, what advice would you offer to that person? I think the more that you can understand the technology and the platforms, the ins and outs, uh, the better equipped you're going to be to design for virtual instructor-led training. Myself, I do a lot of production work for organizations. So I'm that person behind the scenes. I call Oz behind the scenes. <laughs> um, and oftentimes they think, oh, that's just the person that's administrating or helping with the technology. But it's valuable for me as an instructional designer because I know all the pain points. So I know instantly if my instructor that I'm supporting, the video doesn't play, mm -hmm. 
what can be done in that instant. And it helps me from a design perspective that now I know to put that into my design as I'm giving it to, to the trainer. And I understand the pain points of how long it actually takes to give instruction. For many activities, there's a lot more instruction that needs to be given and a lot more time taken on the front end for an activity than it did in ILT. So I think my parting advice is if you're looking to be a virtual instructor-led trainer, see if you can find a way to get behind the scenes, sit on some webinars, find out what it really takes to run these. It's going to be a lot more than you think it is. And that's going to make you a stronger instructional designer for virtual training. Excellent. Yeah, you really need the on-the-ground insight to know what the experience is, what it involves. That's very, very helpful. Melissa, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.